Hello everybody, this is Ollie Henderson and it's the Future Wildlife Podcast and I've got another fantastic guest this week. Emmy Faust is the founder of Female Founders Rise, a resource for female founders seeking inspiration, support and growth. She's a long-term founder herself. Over the past couple of decades, she's sold two digital agencies to bigger independent companies. She's worked with various companies both to secure investment and to help their growth strategies and Back in the day, she received £200,000 worth of funding from Theopathetis on Dragon's Den. So she's had a wide and varied career, the lessons from which we discuss in today's show. Now, I should mention, I actually met Emmy about 15 years ago, or at least I think it was. I was trying to work out exactly when. I'm not sure Emmy's memory of it is quite as clear as mine, but... I worked for a business development agency, which worked with her agency, and we have tried a few times over the past couple of years to connect again. So it was a great pleasure to have her on to the show today, on which we discussed all things startup life, including how to actually go about starting a company, when you should and shouldn't take on investment, and why Emmy is so passionate about supporting female founders and building a community. Now, if you enjoy learning about themes like this, please do check out my newsletter, Future Work Life on Substack. I'll be writing about our conversation in this week's edition. Also, you might want to buy a copy of my book, Work Life Flyer, which is designed to help you get something started, whatever that might be, whether it's career as a freelancer, solopreneur, or indeed, if you're looking to start your own business. So let's jump into my conversation with Emmy. I started by asking her a question I've been speaking to a few people about over the past few weeks. Why might now be a good moment to start something new? Well, personally, I'm obviously biased because I've been a founder for ages, but I think it's always a good time to start. Like what they always say, like, you know, now's the best time to start if you haven't already kind of thing. So I don't, but but saying that, like, I think it very much depends on the person. So when I had my business, there's obviously some people that were really entrepreneurial and wanted to run a business. And quite a few of the people that worked for us went on to run a business, which is amazing. I love to see that, like, we'd sown that entrepreneurial seed, or maybe they already had that and we'd, like, help them see that it was possible. But then I do believe there's some people that don't want that responsibility. Maybe they're not, that's not something that's their passion. Um, And therefore, you know, starting a business wouldn't be right for them but if you've been thinking about it if you've had that idea if you feel like it's inside you then I think start now and and what I'd say which is what I've been trying to sort of emulate a bit with one of my projects I'm working on is like you don't need to throw loads of money at it um, or stop doing everything else you can start building something up in quite a lean way on the side and just see if it gets traction and see if it's something that people want and need. Yeah, a lot of people, I think, assume that they're not the sort of people who can be an entrepreneur. Sort of entrepreneur, that word actually, I think, almost puts people off. It makes it sound grander than it is. I hate that word. I always struggle to say I'm an entrepreneur, though obviously now that's a massively overused word. Um, But at the time Mm. when I was an entrepreneur, I would never identify myself with that word. And I just felt like, oh, my God, that's just, yeah. But I think you're right. I think... I think I always remember like setting up the business when you've never set up a business before. It feels like this really complicated big thing. But once you've done it once, it's so easy. And actually, when, when once we had one business, we would just literally keep setting up businesses on the side. If it doesn't work out, you just shut it down. I mean, it, it is a slight pain, but it's not a massive pain. And actually, I saw with, I think I've used First Formations or something for a recent company and for 100 quid extra, you've got some kind of insurance that they will close everything down for you for free within a year. 
if you decide not to do it. So I just did that because I was like, well, I might as well set up a company. I'm going to set up a bank account. I'm going to see how it goes. If it doesn't go to plan, yeah. I'll just get them to shut it down and it's a hundred quid. But um, <clears throat> I think if you haven't had a company before, there's all those questions like, how do I set up for that? What does it mean? How do I, you know, you don't even know the things like the ICO you need to register with um, for your data protection and, you know, company's house and all of those things. It sounds much more difficult than it is. Like I've got a friend who's who's an amazing doctor and she's thinking about setting up a business and, you know, she's so switched on and so clever. But she's like, can I have half an hour of your time because I just don't know where to start. Um, and I think mm. it's also like, you obviously you can go and Google all that stuff and try and find it out. But, you know, you, you're you never quite sure if you're in the right place or if you're missing something. Yeah, 100%. So your friend, he's a doctor. Yeah, as you said, obviously really smart. Apart from all these administrative things, when you sit down with a friend like that, where would be the first place to start to sort of advise whether it's worth mm. them taking that time, that risk? Being a founder is hard work. It is very demanding. I mean, so there's some lovely things about it. Yeah, you've got your, you're responsible for sort of what happens in your business. You can take time off and take the kids to school and go to the school play and you're never going to miss the Christmas play. Like I had to one time when I worked for this absolutely terrible um, guy once. Um, but so you, you know that you're destiny's in your hands you know you can work harder and it can make a difference whereas sometimes when you're working for someone else it's it's out of your hands and 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 I personally really like being able to shape what I'm doing and to have my vision and to decide you know who I work with and if that person's rude I'm not going to work with them again whereas if you're working in an agency and you've got a client paying you 10 grand a, a year a month or whatever it is you know you have no choice so I think that's great. But then on the other side, it brings a lot of um, responsibility, stress. Um, you literally struggle to switch off. Like I'm sure, you know, Ollie, um, it's very hard. You know, like I'm always working, love my work, but like I can't stop thinking mm. about it and always be checking my emails and doing little bits at the weekend. Um, and I think it's kind of all encompassing, isn't it? So that's what I'd say is that if you've got to, is I I find like it's quite hard to have that separation between work and home life when it's your own business I think I had it more when I went to an office like when we ran our agency we had our office and we go to work and we actually left our computers at work I think and then we come home but now with the sort of work from home and the much more sort of hybrid working environment I feel like it's quite all-encompassing so I'd say you've got to be super passionate about it I think the other thing that people don't realize is when you set up a business in the early days before you have a team and funding and all of that, um, and especially my friend who was going to set up, it was just going to be her. She was going to do um, something, you know, like a project herself. You're doing the finance, the marketing, the legal, the website, the promotion, the retention, you know, you're doing everything. And, and often you're not an expert in those areas and it's really hard and you're doing the sales. Um, so when I was a consultant and I was working for myself and I had a, you know, a limited business as a consultancy, I was doing my consultancy work, but then I was having to think about getting new clients because I don't keep my clients forever. I was having to speak to my accountant about getting invoices done, my VAT returns, my PAYE for myself. Then I'm having to do like my LinkedIn promotional stuff. And it's like, it's, it's like, a, it's more than a full-time job. And the money's kind of can be very up and down and you have to put a lot of 
working like I say it takes three to six months before you even get any traction um yeah so it's not for the like it's I think it's a long-term thing and I was explaining this to my husband like the longer you've been doing it and the longer you've built, built up your personal brand and people know about you and the more clients you've worked with and all the more customers you've got and the more trusted you are the easier it is to win more business but at the beginning it's hard that was a, a really nice summary of what it takes because there, there's misconceptions, I think, and glorification sometimes. Yeah, totally. And so I see it's useful to be reminded that it's really bloody hard. It's and bloody also, hard, yeah. um, but it's great. And I think, you know, obviously, like if you get an exit or something like we both did and you generate, you know, some quite a bit of money from it, that can be really life-changing in a way that you know you can then make decisions further on like I'm able to angel invest I'm angel I'm able to work on a project at the moment that's not actually paying me any money because I've obviously made money in the past but you know I worked really really hard for 10 years to get to that point and I had holidays that were like you know I remember being on holiday and not being able to relax at all because I was getting calls about people handing their notice in and stuff like that so you know it there is some glory from it and it is great and you are working on your own thing and you but you know you've got to be really passionate about it and also up for doing all the extra stuff it is Mm. yeah it is really full-on isn't it yeah and therefore so this leads on to the second bit which is if you're going to do it you want to increase the likelihood that you're going to do the right thing yeah Um, and that right thing can be defined in loads of different ways and I think one thing you're absolutely right that it, you could find the most commercially viable idea, but whether you're the right person to do it or not is questionable. And it's the likelihood is you've got to be in, in it for the long haul, which is why caring about the problem you're solving does matter. Yeah, such a huge number of businesses fail. And I, I hate that. And I often feel like there's, you know, I was thinking about doing this course for um people and obviously because I'm doing Female Founders Rise, my new project would be for female founders, but almost like the fundamentals of, running a business so almost like all those things that my friends asking me for it's just like here you go this is all the trusted stuff and also don't spend money on this and don't spend money on that and don't Mm. spend five grand on your brand and your logo before you even got any customers and don't spend 10 grand on a PR agency who aren't going to be able to get you any traction or promise you any traction because they can't and don't spend 10 grand on a marketing agency for three months because they're probably not going to deliver anything um so I think that's the thing. You can have a really good idea. Um, Also, lots of people have good ideas or they think they're good ideas and their friends and family tell them they're good ideas. And they might be good ideas, but people wouldn't actually pay for them. Or there's already something better out there in the market. Or it's kind of like a nice to have. So I think um, one of the things everyone always says is, you know, you, you need to find... A problem that needs a solution um, and create something around that I don't know if that's all always the case I don't know if it's always but you know very much like if you are solving a problem and you have people that want to buy from you then you've probably got a much more viable business if it's just a real mm. nice to have then it's harder to get people to purchase so I think one of the really important things is to just um, do the customer research. So customer research is so important. And um, this week, I've done 13 interviews with my female founders, which has been eye-opening. I always tell my clients when I was doing consultancy to do this, but no one ever wants to do it. And also, I didn't want to do it. I've put it off for ages. I've I've been doing this project for five months, and this is the first time I've done like proper, proper research. But I'd say do the research because it's so eye-opening because they'll tell you like, 
where else, what, what they're already buying, who they're buying from, what's missing in the market, what they like about your product and if your product doesn't exist, you know, what they like about their competitor's product, um, what they, they, they'll say comments about pricing or things like this and you're like, gosh, you know, I, I've learned so much. I've learned about loads of competitors or not competitors, but like similar offerings I didn't know about, really what they're really struggling with what they actually want from female founders wise I just gain so much information and that doesn't actually really cost money so you can do all that at the idea stage of your business you can do speaking to prospective customers speaking to different audiences um doing lots of research and surveys and stuff like that so I'd say that was a fundamental Mm. um and then getting some kind of traction as well you know getting people to to take action to show that you really are um answering a problem and you know like I've had I had a client in the past and they hadn't they'd done a little bit of research but it was just with sort of friends and stuff and they were selling a subscription box and they were selling it at 60 pounds every two months which is actually quite a lot of money Um, and you couldn't Mm. see what was in the subscription box before Um, and basically they launched it and no one bought it and what they realized is that actually you know people didn't want it it was just the few people in that little um research group who were maybe their friends who were sort of just saying yes we'd we'd buy it to sort of I don't know because they thought at the time they might so I think it's always really important to actually sort of stress test all those hypotheses before you actually launch a whole business and spend lots of money you know some people are spending 20 30 grand to get to that point you work in obviously with a lot of female founders right now as part of your new business have you got any good examples of ways that people have done that using kind of smart ways which cost relatively little mm. well I'm trying to emulate I'm trying to with female founders rise which is this community that I'm building I'm trying to I suppose almost like emulate what this could be like how you don't and obviously I'm in a different position to other people because I've got a massive network of people that trust me and I've got a bit of an audience and various other things but um you know what I did to start with was I set up a LinkedIn page which is free and a Google form which is free and I started posting about female founders and the problems that female founders have um and saying I'm trying to solve that problem do you want to get involved and and over time um, people have filmed, filled in that application form and I've been testing it out and I've done various networking events and masterclasses and stuff like that. And so 1,500 people have filled in that form, which is a lot, which mm. makes me think there mm. is a market for this. Um, at, I haven't spent any money on branding yet. I've just used some sort of basic stuff that I created on Canva or that I used actually for my Emmy Fast logo. And I've got a website that I think I paid 250 quid, which looks terrible. Um and I know it's terrible, but I'm just adding blog posts to it. I'm adding bits. And over time, I'll pay to make it better. But I'm not going to spend five grand on a website now. And I don't actually know what this is going to turn into. So I think mm. um, that would be an example. Um, I think, you know, other things would be I've spoken to, I've um, invested in a business called Babu. And Charlie's amazing. And one of the things that, she, that I talked to her about doing, and she's done really well, actually, is again, it's research. So she wanted to sell to companies. And so like one of the things she's been doing is speaking to companies, doing research to find out if they'll want her product. But in a way, that's almost like getting in through the door and having an opportunity to sell the product. Um, and so that's worked, worked well for her. Um, I think it really is just taking a step back 
And I mean, some people don't have any money to spend, so they're having to do this kind of bootstrappy way anyway. And other people get funding, and, and I've seen that they just waste that funding way too quickly because someone says, oh, you must do Facebook ads or Instagram ads and you'll need creative. And before you know it, you spent 15 grand and you've got nothing. Um, mm. So it is hard, but I think it's very much also finding strategic partners, I think is a really big one. So finding someone who's got access to your audience. So for example, with me, Seed Legals, who I don't know if you know them, your audience might not know them, but Seed Legals is like the go-to um place for legals for startups so it's like an amazing offering and I think something like 25% of all startups do their legal work through C legals so I partnered with them they're my friends I'm their friend they promote all my events they are sponsoring an event of mine um and so actually if they've got 25% of all startups and they're sponsoring stuff I'm doing I'm automatically getting people signing up to my community Mm. because of them um, and in the past, I did that with my consulting. I used to do masterclasses for them and I get customers. So if you can find people who've got access to your audience and they, you're, you're, you know, the audience that you want to sell to or um, be, be part of already trust that brand and you can partner with them in some way, then that works really well. And you, you are pretty active on LinkedIn and you're creating content on LinkedIn. And you'd said you already have an audience, yeah. but of course you've had to build that audience. Yeah, exactly. Time, I had right? to build that audience. And I would say as well, that's why I encourage everyone I speak to to just start posting on LinkedIn and building an audience and build it, not just building an audience, mm-hmm. building connections and networking, because I'm now benefiting from that work that I put in over the last 10 years. So someone said to me, How, God, you know, you've built this community really fast. How did you manage to do that in only three months? And I was like, but it's actually been 20 years. I've been building that community since I set up my agency. I remember I've been mm-hmm. on LinkedIn since I don't know when, like 2007 or something like that. Um, yeah. I wasn't active actually on it very much, but I was still adding people when I met them. Um, and so I think the power of your network and the power of connections is so important. And that, I, I mean, I think LinkedIn is an amazing tool, basically, because it's free. Mm-hmm. And it connects you with yeah. all those people that you, well, like you and I, I mean, we were just talking about this, like, apparently we met about 20 years ago. I've semi forgotten because I got terrible memory, but you know, that's how we connected. And then we've been connected on LinkedIn recently, and then I come on the podcast. So yeah, I mean, it's been the center point for my career pivot, if you like, over the past three years, a combination of creating content distributing it via LinkedIn and also then connecting with other people whose content I find interesting. They then come on the podcast. We then stay connected. Friends, and maybe exactly. Yeah. It's the, the sort of flywheel effect, isn't it, of the community. And what does community mean to you now? Because obviously that's how you describe the new project. But community can mean different things. It takes yeah, different shapes. it's really interesting. I was trying to think, like, I call it a community. And then I was actually thinking this, like, what is it? Is it a network? Is it a community? I was listening to Seth Godin's book, like a um, a thing of his book on YouTube, which was called Tribe, which is which is really interesting because yeah. it's kind of what I'm trying to do. Um, I'm not so keen on that word, but um, community for me is really important um, because it's that belonging, isn't it? I think we all crave belonging. We all crave being part of things. I think that's why going into the office, people did really love that. Not everyone I know. And also I know it's great to have this hybrid setup, but I think I really valued going into the office um, and I really value going out and about and meeting people and things like that it's really important and 
interestingly, lots of female founders rise community, they really want to meet in person as well. So I think community is just bringing people together with like shared values and shared interests and shared passions and maybe a shared sort of need, not need, but like, I feel like we're really connecting over something. We've got like a real shared interest and passion and we're all similar. We're all women with similar ambitions and drive and, you know, that kind of thing. What do you mm. think community is? How do you, how do you describe it? Oh, well, for a start, I think it's just fundamental to not just careers, but businesses yeah. in general. So within my book, I've got these six different components, all of which feed into one another. And community is a really important part of it. And they're not necessarily don't have to be sequential, but I see community and learning fitting together for, because for me, I have learned so much from other people over the past few years and also from putting myself out there a bit more than I used to. So actually contacting people and saying, really interested in what you're doing. would love to literally would love to learn more about it. Would you be interested in speaking? And actually the podcast, by the way, is a really amazing way to do that because suddenly people are probably more likely to say yes to that and also you can record the conversation if you recorded conversations usually it'd be a bit weird but actually yeah. on a podcast it's kind of the point so uh, so there's there's an added bonus for a podcast um so I think it's really important but also same as you I always liked going into the office and I think I do miss that and even though there's been huge benefits from me changing the way I, I network and actually I sort of find it easier to network digitally because I am good I think in a room of people I know but I think I find it easier to connect with people I don't know virtually so mm, that's been that's a positive but, yeah yeah but I do but I do whenever I'm in person with people now I love it I love being around people and like you say particularly when you share a similar interest and that's why communities focused on either particular problems or opportunities you're trying to create together or even just situations so you know when I started writing my newsletter the people who contacted me most were other dads with young kids who could relate to my writing about the experience I was having which was basically I'm really struggling to find the, the best way to manage both a busy home life and a busy work life and that was the first stage of building a community around the, the content I was creating. Mm. Yeah, that's mm. super interesting. So have you got lots of dads on board? Well, I still do have. Yeah, this is funny. The types of people who have been reading my newsletter and listening to podcasts, or at least it's more difficult to know with the podcast because you don't know exactly who's listening. But it's kind of evolved. So I think it started off very much sort of focused on dads with busy work lives. Then I've kind of people interested in the future of work. And I did this whole bit around HR for quite a while. So I've got a lot of people on HR. Then it's more and more leadership. And then now, because of my book, it's all around entrepreneurship and solopreneurship a bit more. So I've had a lot more people signing up who I know are interested in that. So I think it's a pretty good mix now. But I think I've got that. The hardcore probably are still those dads who I connected with early doors. You should go on um, Charlie. So Charlie from Babu, who I mentioned earlier, she's doing a podcast and interviewing lots of dads all about um okay. being a dad and having kids and stuff she just interviewed my husband actually so I'm sure she'd love to get you on. oh nice yeah oh yeah definitely what do you see as the right because you mentioned before about getting together what do you see as the relative benefits of networking online versus in person it's really interesting so everyone says there's something really different about my events and you know what I decided at the very first event I was actually a bit scared not scared but like I've been ill I think I told you that I've been ill um a while ago and I had long COVID and part of that was um sensory overwhelm and like not being able to go to big 
events or being I definitely wouldn't be able to host something because that would have been way too stressful and I suddenly was like oh my gosh I've got 50 people coming this is a bit like out of my comfort zone because I hadn't done anything like that for ages luckily it was in this amazing venue and it's all very open plan I think like being downstairs in the dark would have been a bit like but I was like I'm gonna be okay and I just decided that I would go up and I would hug every single person that came into my networking because this was the first one we were doing and so literally every woman that came in, I like walked forward and I was like, oh, hi, I'm Emmy, gave them a hug. And I said, go and get your, you know, ticket. And off they went. And pretty much, and so I did that at the first one. And so many people like commented, like, that was amazing. Like, you know, you gave us a hug and you welcomed us. And it was so easy from there because it, because it, that was, you could instantly see people just go like, oh, it's fine. You know, like it, this yeah, is yeah. going to be, because lots of people either haven't networked before. They all, you know, and I think now, um, and so I did that with the second one. There was like 70 people. And then I, I, we've got like 120 people coming for International Women's Day. I'm like, I don't actually know if I'm going to be able to hug everyone. I'm going to have to outsource. I'm going to have some other, other people doing that. But I think things like that just instantly made people relax. And I feel like everyone just said there was this amazing energy in the room. I think also like, like you were saying, when you're part when you're going networking and it's just random networking, you don't have a shared purpose or shared passion or drive, but like all these women are all, most of them are trying to get funding. They're all sort of growing successful businesses. They're many of them are struggling to get funding. They're all part of female founders rise. They're part of a community. And so there's like an instant, like it's fine. You know, can you can go and talk to anyone and it's a safe space. So I think what people like, I think it is, it's just, it's a different kind of networking, isn't it? You've got a cup of coffee and you're having a chat and you can move around the room and you can quite easily move around the room and we encourage people to do that. And maybe it's a bit, I don't know. I also like online networking. We do a lot of that, but I think it's different in person. I think it's just being Mm. able to give people a hug and just say, and quite a few people actually, one lady said she came feeling really sad, you know, and one of the other them. Mm. women like picked up on it they'd met before and said you don't look very happy is everything okay and you know they had a nice little chat and she said I literally went home skipping you know skipping home mm-hmm. which was so amazing and I don't know if you get that on an online you do actually because I know that we've had similar situations online but I think it is good to meet in person as well this is why I think I find it quite interesting a conversation around hybrid work because I've become a bit of a fan of remote work I mean I'm lucky I've got a nice home office set up and you know actually a lot of the people I work with consistently now are based all around the world so you kind of have to meet online but those that I've actually met in person even once for a couple of hours as soon as we've done that and we take our conversation back online it's different I think there's just something yeah. some barrier we break through and I suppose even a combination of the two can work pretty well um can I just ask a question about funding actually so as you said there, a lot of the women that you're working with are looking for funding. Yeah. Now, this might sound like an obvious question, but I, again, I think when you've been through it, like you have a few times, the answer isn't as obvious as it seems, which is when shouldn't somebody look for funding? Don't get funding unless you absolutely have to. I, that's what I'd say. Yeah. I mean, so the two businesses I got funding for, Dragon's Den, that went um, under, that failed. Um, because almost because like we had the money and we were trying to spend it and trying to grow quickly and therefore we made bad decisions and the other business that I took funding for um, off one of my lovely clients and a really lovely guy that I really really rate 
um, he kept saying, this isn't a lifestyle business. I'm investing in like a, a business that we want to see like proper growth, want to see it global. And the person that I was doing it with, um, I just didn't think that we were going to be able to do that. Um, so I ended up giving the money back and I gave the business to the other mm. person. Um, and I felt that massive pressure. Um, and in fact, the successful business that we had, we bootstrapped um, and, you know, we had seven figure exit. Um, so I would say don't take money if you don't have to. It puts a lot of pressure on you. I have sometimes have calls with people like running an agency. They're like, I don't know if I want to get investment. I was like, first of all, you won't get investment. No one's going to invest in an agency. They just won't. Um, it's almost so difficult to get investment anyway um that you've got to like you know you've got to show so many things and you've got to be a particular type type of business you've also probably got to have some traction um the distraction of raising funding the cost to your mental health and the fact that you then don't own your business and can't make business decisions entirely on your own is like a big thing to give up um and so I would say don't get funding unless you need to and actually I'm a real supporter of trying to bootstrap um so I constantly having these questions in my head you know like yes we want to get more female founders funded because it's fair and we want to get, get more um, funding to women so it's more accessible but at the same time we've got to stop glorifying you know getting VC funding and saying this is so brilliant because there's women and men bootstrapping businesses doing amazing stuff without mm. needing to take that um, stress. And we should be celebrating those as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to change tack a little bit. Um, looking forward, what are you most excited about? I mean, it's starting, starting something new. <laughs> Yeah, over the next, over the next, well, with the, with the business, it could be in your life. I mean, as you said, you know, you've had the last couple of years have been tough by yeah. the sounds of it. And I mean, like, I've totally, partly led to the project. Yeah, totally changed what I'm doing. I'm excited because I'm angel investing in women. I've done about fourteen, maybe fifteen, can't remember. Um, small investments, anything from like a thousand to like eleven thousand, um, and in between. And I do that either directly or through angel collectives and stuff. So that will sort of depend how much I put in. Um, Female Founders Rise, I want that to become the go-to global destination for female founders for support and community and resources that are like a trusted destination that like every female founder would just join because they know they're going to have a great time and they're going to be supported and have fun and be part of a community. Um, that would be like the long-term goal. Short, Shorter term is to get, say, 10,000 members by the end of the year. It's free membership at the moment, so 10,000 free members in the community and then there's going to be some kind of paid for um offering mm. at some point everyone's very worried about not everyone's very worried but like there's concern how I'm going to monetize it and why I'm not monetizing it and all those things and I don't need to at the moment and I'm just happy growing the community and speaking to people and thinking about what all the different revenue models or you know how I could generate cash and and whether that might be businesses or referrals or there's so many I you know there's so many ideas but I don't want to I don't want to halt I don't know I don't want to put uh, what's it called I don't want to stop the business from I just want it to just grow and I just want to see where it goes before I start changing things and yeah you know well I partly asked it because I guess I'm, I'm let's call it the hug test right so right now you are within the sweet spot for being able to give everybody in that room yeah, exactly. a hug, right? and there's, there's, <laughs> it's not gonna and be long and there's like 
And, and well, exactly. And that's what you're doing day to day is going to change significantly when you go from, I know you've already got a lot of members, but let's say you've got 80 people in the room at the moment, that interaction, the relationship you're having to then when you've got, let's say you do your female founders rise conference. I'm going to in September. Yeah. Yeah. And that looks entirely different. Your role has to change yeah. and you don't have as much one-on-one. I suppose what I'm thinking is, is that what you're looking forward to? Is it like the growth? Yeah. Of, I mean, of, project, of that- course the growth is exciting, isn't it? Cause I think like when you're an entrepreneur, you just like, you want to impact more people. You want it to be big. I mean, that's also a problem I feel like with myself is that I've had these successful businesses and I want, you know, more success. And that's not necessarily money. Cause I like, I don't, really need more money I mean I'd love more money because I'd invest it in more female founders which I find fun um it's just like I'm driven by sort of impact and helping people and probably some kind of success that that is success so like I think if someone said to me well just make this an amazing community for 50 people or 100 people and just help them that feels a bit like oh I just might I want to do more um so yes, it's interesting. So when we do the big conference, and actually, I went to a, I went to something at this place called Friends House in Houston. And before I went in that evening, I was like, I'm going to do I'm going to run at a conference here this year for female founders. Yeah, that's like my head. This is my visualization. But I thought it was going to be like for 200 people. And I went in and it's like a 1000 people. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, okay, probably not going to do that many. I mean, I'd love to. But say, for example, there was three or 400 people there. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to give everyone a hug. I think I'd have to sort of like say to everyone, make sure you give at least three people a hug because that's mm. kind of like what it's about. And also, I've got all these brand ambassadors, not brand ambassadors, like founding advisory members, and they're all big supporters of female founders, big supporters of female founders, right? So they're probably already doing things with female founders in one way or another, and they've sort of come on board and they don't pay me and I don't pay them is like a symbiotic relationship and so they often come to like the events and support you know they're supporters so like it's not just me on my own there's probably we've got like 14 or 15 people now um and so normally like I think to international women say we have five of them there Yeah. yeah so that helps um but yeah, I mean, it's obviously as it scales. Um, and I think that's the key bit, isn't it? Is like to get it really tight and good with the founding members. And that's why like doing all this research and stuff is so important. And I see people joining every day and they're all being referred um, by other members. So if we can get that initial sort of group vibing, which they say it is, it's, mm. they will say it's something different to anything else, then I think it's easier to yeah. grow it. Well, seeing it from one step removed, it seems like already there's a lot of kind of really positive reaction whenever you're talking about on LinkedIn, which is always the the you know, great measure, isn't it? Yeah, I really think engaged. so. Saying, yeah, I mean, saying that, I think I saw that with the stuff that you were doing before, to be honest. So you've obviously got a ability to be able to pull to people together. And I, the other thing I get, by the way, is it seems like there's quite a reciprocal relationship between people who you get in your communities as in I will help you with my particular skill and in return you can get some advice from someone else using their particular skill and actually that's quite an interesting way to get around actually having to just raise capital yeah exactly exactly um I think definitely with the founding advisory members they are all people that you know the other thing is is like I've only brought people in who I've worked with before 
who I totally trust. So everyone said like the quality of the masterclasses and stuff are insane. And that's what I get asked every Mm. day by people, can I do a masterclass? And I'm like, no, you can't. The only people that can are people I've worked with before um, or people that are part of the advisory members. So like, you know, for them, it's really valuable. Like someone yesterday, um, Jessie ran one and she got, she said it was like one of the best things she's done. She talked to like 50 women, um, got loads of promotion on LinkedIn. They're sort of like her ideal clients, probably in a year from now, many of them would be her ideal clients. But she was so good that all those people will be raving fans. So for her, you know, it was brilliant for me and for our members, but for her, it was also a really good promotional thing. Um, And I feel like that's probably, I've probably been able to do that by the relationships I built from the last 20 years. So A, those people trust me and they want to be involved in what I do because they know it's going to be successful. Mm. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how it develops. Before we wrap up, is there anything you want to add? I'm glad we got to do this. We've been meaning to do this for a long time, haven't we? We meant to do this (laughs) in the last podcast. So it's been amazing to do this finally. And no, I just say, you know, come and connect with me. And as you said at the beginning, you know, anyone who's got a sort of an idea that they believe they want to set up their own business, that they want to get into entrepreneurship, don't be scared to do that. Um, And I would really recommend to test out this idea on the side in a small way, like you did, Ollie, set up an email, set up a podcast, do some, start posting on LinkedIn. What, you know, you can really start to build a community and an audience and do research and connect with people before you've actually sort of either jacked in your your day job or sort of spent loads of money. And I think that's a really good way to get into entrepreneurship. Definitely. Well, it's been a pleasure to speak. Thanks again. No worries. So that was my conversation with Emmy Faust. Do look her up on LinkedIn and check out the work she's doing with Female Founders Rise. As I said at the beginning, if you'd like to read more about subjects like this, please subscribe to my newsletter, Future Work Life, on Substack. And of course, pick yourself up a copy of Work Life Flywheel. Next week, I've got another great guest. So I'll see you back here again then.